You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience on this Wednesday, June 5th, smack in the middle of a busy, busy week and a very important week commemorating the 75th anniversary of D-Day. We're going to hopefully talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. Um, yesterday, wow, what a, t- what a terrific show. Um, I'm getting so many emails from you guys. I don't have time to respond to everyone, but I know I asked everyone to send me comments and questions that you want me to pass on to Victor, and I have. I forwarded some of your emails to him. If you haven't heard yesterday's show, it's episode 425. Today is 426, and we will have him on either tomorrow or Friday for a part two. And it's just stuff that you don't hear anywhere else. You know, one of you guys... um. Patrick, one of our listeners, sent me an email, Sanity in the Political Insane Asylum, (laughs) that this show offers you this little asylum. I always joke around, you know, we have the inmates running the asylum, literally, stolen sovereignty. Where's our asylum? Well, we're going to try to offer a little bit of asylum, at least an oasis of truth here. But yeah, I mean, you're not missing anything. Some of you are asking me, well, was nobody reprimanded for sending... Those two HSI agents on that dangerous road where they knew the Zetas controlled it? Was there no investigation? No, there wasn't. We'll hear more from him again later this week. But, I mean, we literally had a Mexican Benghazi in 2011, right around the time of Benghazi, a couple months after a border agent was killed. And it was tied into the Fast and Furious gun running scandal. Has to do with cartels being allowed to run back and forth over our border, not just coming north, but bringing weapons south. Dubious mission before, crazy stuff during the mission, as well as afterwards, rather than being treated like a hero, he was drummed out of federal service. Wasn't given anything. His whole family had to be evacuated just within a day from Mexico where they were living and they weren't given the proper financial and logistics support. He had to get a congressman involved just to get a medical retirement, but didn't get a full retirement package, even though he should have been a national hero. You would think like, you know, after all that, I mean, to hear what he went through, it was just truly shocking. After the fact that his van was shot up, You would think, okay, now you're in the hands of caretakers. No, he didn't know who was a cartel member who who wasn't. It was a bigger hell even after the incident, like he said. And there was just one thing he said yesterday that really gave me goosebumps. There were many things. But in particular, when he talked about his heritage, um, Victor is – I don't know if he was born here. I think he was. If not, his parents emigrated shortly after or shortly before he was born. But, you know, they're recent. In other words, not three, four generations. His parents immigrated here relatively late, later in their lives. 
And he's a, you know, what they consider Mexican American. Really, he's a full American. You know, he's not a hyphenated American, but, you know, our political culture would consider him a Mexican American. And he didn't feel comfortable in Mexico. He felt he was at home the first time he had an American with him. And what's so sad is these are the Americans who happen to have immigrated here that are true Americans that our media refuses and our political culture refuses to recognize. While both Republicans and Democrats are pandering to illegal aliens or to legal immigrant agitation groups that want to champion the values and positions of their countries of origin, which often are at odds with our country. Here's a man who served as an ICE agent, and he he sided with our government, with our country, over his ancestral home. That's what it means to be an immigrant, but moreover, that's what it means to be an American. But those are the people that are expendable to our political elites. They don't matter. That's the immigration that worked in the Great Wave. You know, um, well, again, we'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow, but one of the things Hitler was banking on, and there's a direct quote from him, I don't have it in front of me, where he said that America is just some a bunch of, you know, he had his racial demonic views, so he said, oh, it's just a bunch of jumbled races. Uh, these people can't, you know, they, they, they can't fight for a country. America has no spirit because he thought that you could only defend a country, sovereignty, if you're, if you believe in a nationalistic view and, and then a demonic level of that, obviously, a satanic view, level of nationalism. You know, I don't agree with nationalism, but not, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to compare anyone, you know, who subscribes to nationalism to, to Hitler and Nazism. But he didn't understand patriotic assimilation. That's what the Great Wave was. It was different than the Protestant majority, mainly from England, Scotland, a couple other places that settled this country. Catholic, Jewish immigrants from Central, Southern, Eastern Europe. But we did it the right way. We didn't have cultural agitators. We didn't champion those who championed their home country's views. We championed those who championed our views. Everyone wanted to be an American in every way. Every immigrant family back then, they were like Victor's family. Whether it was Poland, Italy, Germany... And then, of course, we had the shutoff. And after all that, after that shutoff, by the time the 40s came around 20 years later, we had a cohesive culture that was united by a common cause, common patriotism, that was imbued in our fighting men who stormed the beaches of Normandy. And those people had a greater spirit than even the tough 
soldiers in the Panzer Divisions of SS. That was America. I just really feel that that's, that's embodied through Victor. There's this false choice of like, well, you either um, – you're a nativist who hates the concept of immigration at all or let's just fundamentally transform America and then also have those immigrants be championed as immigrants, not as Americans. No, there's actually a middle ground. It's called a melting pot. It's the right numbers, origin, and time in, the, in a responsible way. Pressuring assimilation, not the opposite. Americanization. That works for everyone. It's good for everyone. So we're going to hear more from Victor in the coming days. It's truly shocking to me how I'm one of the only ones to be working with him and helping him now. Um, I know a lot of you are asking, how could you help? We'll ask him that question. But... um. I just there was just a sensitivity because normally I don't look at someone's name and focus on oh he's a Mexican American I, I you know we're not like that as conservatives that's not the important thing the important thing is his story he was an ICE agent but when he mentioned that that really just stuck out to me the fact that you know man he doesn't feel at home I mean it's like it's like my great grandparents when they came here I mean they're like Austria is a shithole like I you know. We have nothing to do with them. They wouldn't yearn to defend them. They loved America. Anyway. Um, so, Patrick, you sent me this email, Sanity in the Political, political Insane Asylum. Um, th- this is what I really enjoy. This is like a community we're building, a community of like-minded people that actually uh, understand the values of this country. And that's why I just, I just really appreciate the interactive nature. A lot of you are sending me questions for Victor. We're going to speak about, but um, Patrick really summed up what I want to talk about in today's show. My take on border and immigration mess in one tweet. And I felt this was really terrific. Dereliction all around judges subvert laws, not uphold Dems actively incite more illegal border crossing. GOP lack of political will is beyond belief. Trump tries but fails to do it right. Keeps fumbling versus scoring. And deep state bureaucracy fails to support full enforcement. That, that's really the issue. And that's today's title of the show is conservatives, constitutional conservatives, and really not conservatives alone, but patriotic Americans that just – Want our government to represent us. This is not a right versus left issue. Like within America, what sort of tax structure, what sort of healthcare structure we have, just that we have a government that focuses on our needs and security concerns and not that of foreign invaders. I mean, that is not a right left issue. But conservatives and patriotic Americans are sandwiched between stupid, evil, unfocused, and erratic figures. And this is really when you look at what's going on with what Congress is doing, the fight over the tariffs. It, we're caught behind the fact that nobody is consistently doing what's right. We have given a vision of what Trump should and shouldn't be doing, what he should, should message, how he should message it, why he should message it. So I have the right to criticize the president and say, hey, you're off message, or this is the, the tariffs. I understand what you're trying to do, and I sympathize with the, the foundation of it, but politically and policy-wise, it's better to do all the things we're going to talk about 
um, today to uh, to leverage them and really leverage our own destiny rather than that and get all the political blowback for taxes and products and business interests. But are you kidding me? These Senate Republicans? So the Democrats are downright evil. I wouldn't be surprised you know, how many of them are getting paid by the cartels. I could tell you certainly on a local level, there's a heck of a lot of them near the border getting paid by the cartels. But they're evil. The Republican Party is stupid. The conservative media is unfocused. And therefore, the president, with his package of good instincts, good values when you know it doesn't get colored by other things he does he does recognize the broad problem he does he is frustrated by it he does want to change it but he's erratic because we have a movement that's unfocused look he is not going to be that moses that has the right policies and the right messaging without help it's just not going to happen i wish we had someone like that we don't it is what it is we we have what we have now and we got to get him right we got to get him right. But the mixture of all that just creates a bunch of false dichotomies. So you have Democrats taking a scenario, on the one hand, the Democrat House, where they voted on dream amnesty. Literally, we have a cartel invasion built upon the strategic weaponization of illegal immigration with a child. And they want to pass a bill say, hey, any child... Amnesty. But then, the last time I checked, Republicans are still in control of the Senate. So why are they not having dueling proposals on sanctuary cities, on designating the cartels as terrorists, on empowering interior enforcement, going after MS-13, a private right of action for citizens harmed or killed by illegal aliens that are let go by sanctuaries? But they have nothing, nothing. No matter how bad this gets, they will not say anything. It's another day in the park for these guys. They just don't care. They just don't care. But suddenly, the only time they will open their mouth with regard to anything tangentially related to the border is one of two things. Either they'll join the Democrats in, oh, we need more, more, uh, humanitarian aid. And again, in the short term, that could be true anyway. But the focus, the end game for them is all just helping the illegals, not helping Americans. Repelling the invasion, deter, defend, demagnetize. Going after the cartels. And then number two, they speak up when Trump has a reaction. Now again, we would rather we keep drumming into him what he needs to do, and he doesn't do it. Not enough people around him. Although I will get into one good piece of news today in a minute. One thing he looks like he is going to do, thanks to our friend who is now acting ICE director. But to me, it, it, it like 
look, you know, I think the tariff thing is stupid. You're, you're not going to leverage them to secure their border because they can't secure their border. We should be securing our border anyway. And even if you think that the business interest and the political class and the media are exaggerating the effect of the tariffs, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The reality is, why allow them to change the narrative to every product in Walmart going up in price and Americans being harmed by Trump's reaction to it rather than keeping the focus on the harm that illegals are doing to us and therefore focusing on designating the cartels as as terrorists, freeing up the military, changing rules of engagement for both CBP, the National Guard, and the active duty in in NORTHCOM, Um, 1182F shutoff, rocket docket in 10 cities. Airlifts. That... What, what's what's going to be the blowback? You're being too mean to illegals. That's all it's going to be. I'll be honest with you. American people don't care. They care about themselves. That's a dirty little secret. But if you give them a talking point that, oh, you're taxing Americans now, you open up a whole new front. So I think it's a stupid strategy. The president is incurring more political liability than he would for just an 1182F shutoff, which would actually directly address the issue. And directly also focus the issue on what it should be focused on, messaging-wise. But nonetheless, I get really defensive of him when I see these utter buffoon Republicans, including from the very states that are suffering from this invasion, where they don't have a damn thing to say about anything going on at the border. But the minute Trump does anything, agree or disagree, but at least he's like, hey, this is a problem, we got to shut it down. Whether it's you know the threat to shut down the ports or now with the tariffs, all of a sudden, and God opened the mouth of the donkey, of Balaam's donkey, and all of a sudden they have a voice. All of a sudden they found their passion. All of a sudden they found their sense of purpose, their mission in life. This is terrible. We're going to have a veto override vote of him. It's from Politico. Republicans threaten revolt may block Trump's tariffs. At a closed-door lunch Tuesday, two uh, Trump administration officials laid out the president's view. There is a crisis at the border. Mexico needs to stem the surge of migrants to avoid the new levies. But White House Deputy Counsel Pat Philbin and Assistant Attorney General Steve Engel face brutal pushback. Brutal pushback from the GOP. According to multiple senators, with some threatening that Trump could actually face a veto-proof majority to overturn tariffs. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell told reporters the party spent almost our entire lunch going back and forth with the administration and warned afterward, there is not much support in my conference for tariffs, that's for sure. Summing up the mood for the lunch, Senator James Lankford said, according to sources familiar with the matter, the administration is trying to use tariffs to solve every problem but HIV and climate change. First of all, so you see James Lankford is kind of wryly revealing that HIV and climate change are his priorities big open borders he like i said he's like the chief phony evangelical who gives pseudo bastardized biblical views on open borders big open borders guy from the freaking state of oklahoma god is my witness i tried to help jim bridenstine run for senate but he couldn't run because the polling was too strong because everyone backed Langford. I always see my lack of success come to fruition. But if others had joined me, boy, he's trying to use tariffs. 
Hey, hey, Sherlock. Well, what's what's your solution, buddy? More amnesty? Senator Ron Johnson told administration officials that they could not count on the same level of support this time. The administration ought to be concerned about another vote of disapproval on another National Emergency Act, this time implementing tariffs. Senator Kevin Kramer, another dirtbag rhino from North Dakota, close ally of Trump, said a lot of Republican members of the Senate are ter- tariff worry. It's like anything but tariffs. We don't want anything but any anything but tariffs. I mean, I happen to not agree with tariffs. I mean, I agree with negotiating hard, and I don't mind kind of threatening them. And certainly, I'm not one of these types that thinks, oh, any free trade agreement we should just automatically ratify without any good negotiations. But to actively raise tariffs, there's got to be a very good reason for it. But, but the thing is, notice how it's like, folks, the stuff we have coming in this border – Like I said, I'm going to have a report out on this tomorrow from my sources. In one county, Star County, Texas, one border county, there were 1,200 and something people apprehended. Central American family units shoved there by the cartels, particularly the Gulf Cartel, on Sunday. They counted 347 getaways that they could not get a hold of. And that's a very conservative estimate. They have a certain methodology with the footprints and the sensors and the cameras and the drones and the aerostat blimps and the towers. They put it all together and then they have a certain number. They compare it against their apprehensions to try to see how many their quote gotaways. Gotaways, that's the term. Um those are the ones they know. Could you imagine what they're trying to get in? All these previously deported sex offenders, previously deported gang members, murderers. That we see every day come up. Cartel members. The weapons being brought back south to join the battles of the cartels and then they flee north when they lose. The diseases. The espionage. Everything is truncated. Every ill in this world is geographically truncated by the open border and the cartels strategically using this. And we still will not recognize that this is no longer asylum. That there's one thing, and the president could easily, the American people understand it. First of all, he has the authority to shut off asylum anyway. But even if he didn't, this is no longer governed by immigration law. This is national security. This is a military issue. If you have your military adversary, which is why he needs to designate them as such, the first thing is to designate your enemy, and this is why it's so important for him to designate the cartels, then you can go and say, look, if we had ISIS or al-Qaeda strategically flowing a group of asylees in order to get stuff in, that's no longer asylum. That's a military tactic. Tactic. That's a weaponization by our enemies, that's got to be shut down. So I don't like tariffs, but for these, and, and man, I'm on, I'm on the verge of profanity today, these low lives to be anything but tariffs, really anything but tariffs. Look, I don't agree with the economics of tariffs, but I mean, this is much worse. So if it's a, if it's a, if it's a tool to get to them it's worth it. Again, I think the tool needs to be more driven home for the third party agreement which they are seem to be pushing that as well, not for them just to secure their southern border because it's not going to happen. So there's a multiple things that are true at the same time. But that's where I sympathize with the president. I mean, 
And again, like they're undermining. Now he looks like a fool. Meaning, let's say, you know, often Trump doesn't follow through with things. But let's say the Mexican government was like, holy heck, he might actually do this. Now they're going to laugh at him. He's done. Now, there's one thing if Senate Republicans were like, hey, Mr. President, we really don't have tariffs. Walmart in our districts, they're the Chamber of Commerce. They're killing us. You can't do this. But you you announce an 1182F shutdown, and we will all go on all the cable shows, and we will back you up. No, nothing. But then the problem is that – oh, and, and one other thing. Senator John Cornyn talks. He, he gave a comment here too. This is a guy who is from Texas. Cruz, for that matter, is complaining about the tariffs. I get it, but like, he's been awfully quiet. What happened to his voice? I was just on Steve Dace's show and he was reading off Greg Abbott's tweets. He's the governor. Like one out of the last 10 tweets is about the border. Why is Chip Roy, who's a freshman congressman, the most prominent Texas elected official, worrying about their own state's invasion? Where is it? That's what bothers them. They just don't care. I'm yelling in the wilderness, but all of the briefings I've been giving you for a year on this, it should have been imbued and saturated in the media by dozens of Republicans in the administration, in media, in Congress. The public would be so outraged. They would know about this then. It would be easy. So on the one hand, it's like Trump Trump is playing with, there's no help. But on the other hand, it's hard because then Trump himself is stepping onto the few remaining pieces of leverage. He's not doing the 1182F shutdown. He's not pushing back against the California judge. He's not designating the cartels as terrorists. He's not using the bully pulpit to explain all this and announce all this. That's what's frustrating. And then finally, why does he, I mean, Jim Jordan challenged Kevin McCarthy. And he said nice, he didn't like officially endorse McCarthy, but he certainly didn't endorse Jordan. And he said nice things about McCarthy. Why is he not pushing out McCarthy and McConnell? I can't help him if he doesn't help himself. Everyone's like, Daniel, Trump's immaculate. I mean, there's a range of people in the audience and in conservative base in general. Let's say you're one of those that are more like Trump's like a godlike figure. And everything that's ever gone on is Congress's fault. So fine. That's so so then then use your prominence with Republican voters where he Trump is the biggest thing with Republican voters now to push out McConnell. To get involved in primaries, but instead, the few places he's been involved in, he's been involved in supporting establishment guys to preemptively carpet bomb any opportunity we have to bring him reinforcements. I mean, every, every one of these people is quoted. Mike Braun, a new guy from Indiana. I mean, there is nobody. I mean, tariffs is so sacred, especially for Mexico, all the business interests. They're right. He will lose a veto override vote on this. But why? Why is he not threatening to get rid of DACA? And again, here's the speech Trump should give on the courts. Aside from the speech we gave last week about it not being a suicide pact. But a D.C. district judge 
just contradicted a California judge on the border wall and said judges cannot get involved in these scenarios to referee a political fight between Congress and the president. Now he has a judge, meaning everyone's, everyone's too scared to push back, but now you have a judge joining you in that. This is the perfect time to show the stupidity. If I know I'm right, and the law says this, the Constitution says this, and I have control over the border, it's international affairs, here's the case law, and then not only that, a, a, a judge sides with me, what, you're, you're able to pick a California judge from the northern district that's not even on the border to determine border walls in Arizona and New Mexico? That's where it is. Are you kidding me? I mean, at least the D.C. district has jurisdiction over the government. So it's more, you know, at least it's the government. Northern District of California is nonsense. Everyone will transparently see the forum shopping. And by the way, D.C. was also forum shopped. They just struck out. Democrats have an 11 to 4 majority in the, DC, in the active panel of the D.C. Uh, Federal District Court. Happened to get a Trump appointee. But they initially were hoping they wouldn't. It's a joke. But again, this is the line in the sand the president should have laid down. The marker he should have laid down on the travel ban. Two years ago, he could have done this. A Massachusetts judge looked at the case and said it's fine. This was the first iteration, which he didn't even stick with. That shut off all refugees. He wound up revising that, so we didn't even get it affirmed by the Supreme Court because the lower courts won. This is what's so frustrating. He's not using the leverage he has. Trump needs to give another Americans are dreamers to speech and talk about this. Talk about what the cartels are getting in. Talk about the fact that you can't have a scenario where cartels use endless, again, there's billions, hundreds of millions, if not billions of people in the world that want to come because of poverty. You can't, even if you say, like, somehow we shouldn't look at that as a prima facie invasion, which we should, that somehow you would have to adjudicate each one for uh, maybe as an asylum claim. No. If you have cartels that are using them to the point where you abolish Border Patrol, people will understand that, that I got to shut it off. One county in Texas that's 68 miles. 68 miles now often has as few as 11 agents being left on the patrol line. 11 agents. 68 miles. Because what I'm hearing, the reality is, you know, McAleenan is saying 40% of Border Patrol is um, taken off the line doing humanitarian work. That's old news. Or that might be true in some areas of California that aren't getting as much. But in the Rio Grande Valley in Texas... 70, 75% are being taken off. That's the story with that. So it's just so frustrating. It's like, they won't do anything, but on the other hand, the president doesn't call the plays. And again, the president endorsed 
didn't join with Chip Roy and endorse this stupid supplemental bill when he had the perfect vehicle and messaging disaster aid to get his stuff in. And he just gave it away. Gave it away. Ironically, he did it because it had Farm Aid in it. Ironically, he needed the Farm Aid. He needed the Farm Aid because guess what? Tariffs. <laughs> I mean, this is what's so circular. He, he he's his own worst enemy. He trips on his own st- he he does dumb things at the expense of good things, but you know, then he gets no help and he gets no, you know, there's that's the problem. We're the only ones here making the right calls. By the way, as we're on the air, breaking news. Remember how I told you May was going to blow out April? 100,000 apprehensions April. I said there might be at least 120,000. 144,258 apprehensions in April. 100,000 plus were families or children. Today, tomorrow, is the opportunity for Trump to use this and give a shutoff speech. Right? This is the perfect time for Trump to give an 1182F shutoff speech. Stop with the tariffs. Because then the Republicans would downright have to start promoting illegal immigration. Here, it gives them an easy out. Oh, we don't, no one likes taxes. You're raising taxes on people. So, so frustrating. When is it ever going to end? 144,000. We had 38,000 the month that Trump announced his presidency in 2015, and he said America had become a dumping ground. But because we're caught in between this perfect Work of Satan and the devil storm, where you have the evilness of the Democrats, the stupidity and half-evilness of the Republicans, the unfocused nature and stupidity of the conservative movement, Trump's initial good you know, desires, but then he doesn't know what to do with himself, and no one in the movement's helping or whatever, staff that undermines his agenda that he himself hired, plus the deep state that's always been there. And we're left disenfranchised. We're left with elections not mattering, not meaning anything. We're left with a government that is of, by, and for illegal aliens. If you would have told me even a couple months ago when I was yelping about this, that we would get to a point where 144,000 apprehensions, I would have said, no, okay, come on. You know, I just hope we don't have to get it there. I just hope we don't have to get it there. But if it ever did get there, okay, then he's going to do a shutoff. Now it's like they're basically saying you could have the entire world come here and unless we change the immigration laws, there's nothing we can do. I mean, this is the problem. If he is going to lay down the marker 
that even this, he cannot stop. That even, not just the sheer numbers, but the quality of what's coming over and, and who's, who's orchestrating it. And what we don't see, then I don't know what to say. I'd almost say just hand the government to the Democrats. And at least then, people will yelp against it and then maybe they'll be pressured to stop it. Right now, we don't even have an emergency among conservative so-called media and movement to even act on this. It's just not sexy. It's not cool. Another, another thing I just want to go back to, you think of these numbers. I mean, let me, let me, let me just get out a calculator here. Let's see, 144 times 12. Okay, that, that would be an annualized pace. Meaning if, if this keeps up, and, and we say if it keeps up, but every month it's going up, of 1.7 million illegal aliens in one year. And again, these are unique individuals, almost all of them, to a person, because no one's being deported. It's not like in the past. 144, I don't know where you have to go. That that might be a record, even, again, we've long surpassed the record if you count unique individuals. But even if you look at the, just the number of apprehensions, where they were the same people, I can't remember getting up to 144. Maybe a couple of the worst months ever, but it's pretty close. I'll have to look at look, look that up. But um I mentioned on Monday one of the things that we do is we we like talking points. We don't want policy victory, so we like talking points. So one of the things is well, we're more pro-immigrant than you, huh? So USCIS bragged about they put out their annual report. We completed 850,000 naturalization requests, a five-year high. We processed more than 500,000 requests for certain humanitarian relief, a 32% increase. And we granted nearly 1.1 million LPR status. You know, getting, getting back to um, what we started out at the beginning of the show with patriotic assimilation. Look, some of these people I'm sure are terrific. But this is not a good thing. To have now, it's not. It's eight hundred fifty thousand applications. I think it's maybe like something like seven hundred eighty thousand got naturalization. Obama badly wanted to try to get more people naturalized to get more votes, and now more people are getting naturalized under Trump. And when you know our side, see, see, he's not a racist. But is that? But I, I get your talking point. But as a policy outcome, is that a good thing? It's utterly insane. Numbers matter. You can't add that many people, maybe like the highest year, but then you have a, you know, a cool off. You can't have every single year doing that to change your voting population that quickly. What do you think you're going to get? And given the way the world is today and the areas of the world where they're mainly coming from, and given the weak culture of the Native America, Americans to begin with, and the weak education system, we don't have patriotic assimilation among Native Americans. I don't mean Indians. I mean natively born Americans. Um, so certainly, I mean, it's a disaster. This is not something we should be bragging about. I've always said, and I write about this in my book, that as much as this wave, the, this 50-year wave is longer and steeper with more numbers than the Great Wave – 
And again, 90% of the Great Wave was from Europe, similar background, similar culture, very different from the countries they're coming from today. But those are the admission numbers, the LPR numbers. If you look at the naturalization numbers, so many, so such fewer people or a much fewer number of the broader wave actually wound up being naturalized. Some of it's because of life expectancy. People died earlier and didn't wind up living to convert over to, to become a citizen. But even during the highest naturalization years of the Great Wave, I have charts of this in my book, we admitted anywhere from 100,000 to 250,000 new citizens to our electorate every year. Okay? In other words, even during the Great Wave, when there were some years where we admitted roughly as many annual immigrants as we do today, some years, but not nearly for as many years, that era of immigration didn't result in as many people becoming citizens. So these are old numbers, but evidently it's grown even more. I just, from my book, I, I could recalibrate it, but from 1996 to 2013, 12,609,000 new immigrants became citizens. During the actual Great Wave, the number of naturalizations was still very low. Because you know it takes time for them to go to this through the system, so the Great Wave was you know, eighteen nineties, nineteen hundreds, nineteen you know up until nineteen eighteen, nineteen twenty. But so the the peak naturalization was delayed. So I looked at at an equivalent eighteen year window. That's what I did. I looked at an equivalent eighteen year window, the highest period peak following the Great Wave. That was nineteen twenty eight to nineteen forty five. It was just three point eight million. So I took the 18-year period in this great wave, which is going to be a lot more if I factored in 18-year period ending with this year, if I had the data. But it was 12.6 million compared to 3.8 million over an equivalent eight-year peak period of the highest level of naturalizations from the great wave. So I, I came out with the numbers that while the um, immigration wave of the modern era was 66% larger than the Great Wave, the naturalization wave was 329% greater. And then, of course, again, they had a shutoff for so many decades. I always say that the um, one, of, one of the greatest quotes that I think sums up the contrast with uh, this wave and the Great Wave is Maldwin Allen Jones, a big immigration historian. I, I use some of his stuff in my book. He said, quote, with reinforcements no longer arriving from across the ocean, ties with Europe were gradually weakened and memories of the old life grew dimmer with each passing year. This dynamic accelerated the Americanization of those groups, which had come earlier. Yet now we have... We have wave after wave reinforcing the previous wave. Plus, you have the internet, easy transportation, the you know, just the technology. You don't really sever ties anymore. Constantly reinforcing itself. And then you have the illegal immigration particularly ruining the those coming from Latin American areas, their potential 
to join the American mosaic of the melting pot and experience their Americanization because they go in these communities and they're really not going to assimilate these illegals and they ruin it for everyone. And again, we know Republicans don't care about culture. They don't care about the fiscal solvency. They don't care about national security. They don't care about the cartels. They don't care about MS-13. They don't care about the 80,000 people a year dying of drugs. They don't care about all of the criminal aliens that are getting in, the sex offenders, the rapists, the, the um, drug traffickers, everything. Nothing. They just don't care. They just don't care. But you would think, just on account of, I don't know, raw politics, they would care. Raw politics. Don't they, don't they care about their survival? See, this is really where they're the stupid party. Because they one thing they just don't share our values, which they don't. But they're dumb. You look at the data. The foreign-born population by state. And you look at critical states. There's a reason why they're changing. In 1980... 6% of Arizona was foreign-born. Again, that's a good measure. What percentage of an area is foreign-born at a given time? There's nothing wrong with being foreign-born. If you're an immigrant, by definition, you're going to be foreign-born. And we could have the right amount of immigration. But when you start seeing 20, 30 years later, it went from 6% to 13.4%. By 2016, it's 13.5%. Colorado went from 3.9% to 9.8%. And again, these figures are a few years old. A lot of these places are rapidly changing. Florida from 10.9 to 20.6. Georgia, look at this as a percentage increase. A lot of you are starting to hear, you know, Georgia changing. Like, hey, what's that? I thought it was a red state. 1.7% to 10.1%. Remember, in the Deep South, um, there's a large you know, native African-American population. So, you know, they all vote Democrat. So obviously everyone else was conservative, but if you introduce a new dimension, so in other states, 10% foreign born didn't shut them down yet. But in Georgia, where you already have such a high baseline for Democrats with the black vote, you take the foreign born from 1.7% to 10.1%. And that's really accelerating. Georgia's really, because just from 2010 to 2016, it, it, Went up a half a uh, half a point. Nevada, six point seven percent in nineteen eighty, twenty percent foreign born twenty sixteen. North Carolina, one point three in nineteen eighty, seven point eight percent foreign born. And Virginia, everything about Virginia. Yes, yes, you do have all the government workers and the growth of federal government where the D.C. metropolis expanded. But that exp- that explains making it a red state to a competitive state. How did it go from a red state to a solid blue state so quickly? That's the second half of the equation. Foreign-born went from 3.3% to 
Washington State. You know, there was always talk, maybe we could win Washington, Oregon. Washington went from 5.8% to 14%. And then, of course, you had places that to begin with had more, like New Jersey, 10.3%, but now it's 22.5%. New York was 13.6%, now it's 23%. California was 15.1%, now it's 27.2%. That's the difference between making them okay, Democrats will win versus an utter collapse statewide where you lose. So we're not going to get the senators. We're not going to get the governorships, but we will be able to squeeze out more House seats and preserve a majority. No, that's the, that's where that makes a difference. In those states, what it does is it makes blue, dark blue. It makes purple blue. And it makes red purple and dark red, lighter red. That's what it does. This is just the reality. But we're caught between stupid, unfocused, idiots, erratic behavior. We have nowhere to turn. All we could do is pressure the president to take his instincts and his tweets, message them right and do the right things with them. It's all we got. And there's multiple ways. Primaries, leadership elections, threatening to get rid of DACA, pushing back against the courts, designating the cartels as terrorists, deploying the military on a military war setting, not humanitarian setting, change rules of engagement for Border Patrol. And 1182F shutoff. As we're on air, these numbers are coming out. It's unbelievable. I didn't. I didn't know they were going to come out today. Um, <clears throat> and I, I, I just don't know what to say. This is the time for him to give the speech. This is the time. It's straight up children. Straight up, over 100,000 children came to the border. That's what it is. And they're talking about amnesty for children. You know, just looking here at some of the, um, some of the data, just seeing where this comes from. 20 now it's now for fiscal year 19 a 2100% increase in the El Paso sector. El Paso is rapidly catching up to Rio Grande sector. But a 1000% increase in Del Rio that's farther up in the Texas area that almost never experienced anything. It's truly truly unbelievable. Truly unbelievable. This is the whole enchilada, folks. This is everything. It is unbelievably shocking that we will not do what it takes. If the president doesn't respond to this by tomorrow, it's lost. 
it sets the precedent that nothing else matters. Once again, I'm just looking at the numbers. For this month, the number one area was Rio Grande, followed by El Paso. Yuma is number three, and now Del Rio is number four. So as you can see, California, Iran, and that's that's another thing. That's another point. Just eyeballing this, 70% or so is coming in Texas. Why can't the president make the case that how does a California judge have jurisdiction over that? I mean, this is the opportunity. This is the opportunity that the president has. And I want everyone to remember that, again, when Trump announced his presidency, our apprehensions per month were about 38,000. 38,000. Yet here we are. Annual trajectory of 1.7 million. Now, by the way, I... um. As we're talking, I looked up. We did reach numbers this high the last time was March March of 2006. But again, those were often retreads because we deported them. We pushed them back right away. These people are all new, and they are all remaining in the United States. Which leads me to one good piece of news. One good piece of news. This is not an excuse for Trump not plugging the hole at the front end, but I mentioned earlier this week there was a back end way of doing this. Because what are we saying? They all get to stay. Now, we should never have to go through this lawfare. We should never have to tolerate an invasion But at least the ones that went through the process, we should get them out. So the good news is, you know, a lot of people were wondering who is this Mark Morgan guy? Never heard of him. Looks like a crusty FBI bureaucrat. And I told you guys, no, he's he's. I, I've gotten to know him. He's a really good guy. New York Times and Shift: U.S. vows to more aggressively deport migrant families. The Trump administration will step up efforts to deport families of undocumented migrants in the United States. The new leader of ICE said on Tuesday. So, um, quote, we will be going after individuals who have gone through the due process, who have received final orders of deportation. That will include families. Right now, we're talking about that and what it should look like. Um, You know, they go on to say that he said an operation that has targeted that had targeted migrant families during the Obama administration led to a decline in immigration at the southwestern border. Um, notice, notice that uh, <laughs> um, this is very, very similar to what you heard me write about. So, look, I'm doing everything I can, and this is good news. The president has gotten more aggressive. Uh, um, has allowed Morgan to get more aggressive. It looks like Morgan is going to win that internal battle. Okay, so it looks like we got something going on that end. 
So look, this is not an excuse for not doing a front end shutoff, but at least we got in a good guy in ice. So we have a guy that does get it and um, he's going to do everything he can. But again, how many Republican senators, including those from these very invasion states, will even put out just a note on these border numbers? How many? Nope, it's all the tariffs. Because we're stuck between stupidity and evil. And the president's own flaws and erratic nature. I was thinking back when I did that article that was front and center on Drudge, March 6, 2019, just three months ago about the February border numbers. I had an article, 12 astounding numbers that show the whole invasion of our border. And I talked about how unprecedented it is. Do you know that three months later, the numbers are double those very numbers? It's like we were talking about this yesterday. This is from Breitbart. Border agency buying 2.2 million diapers to help migrants. The purchase request was posted by May 31st. It asked for diapers, baby wipes, and shower shoes. Um, you know... This is why the president needs to change the discussion to being on war footing. We designate the cartels as terrorists. We're going after them. And therefore, obviously, you cannot have immigration processing in the middle of a war zone. So we are shutting that off. So again, you add, in addition to an 1182F shutdown, there's an element of, I think everyone agrees, whether you're a leftist or whatever, anyone in law, let's say 1182F didn't exist. And by the way, he does need to assert it's inherent in Article Two powers, like like the Supreme Court said in the 1950 case, Nafi That's not They has to remember that. But even if you didn't have that, everyone agrees if we were doing military operations, you shut it down. We never had immigration from countries from which we had had wars from. But it's just really sad as we um as we commemorate D-Day, storm the beaches. We can't even protect our own beaches, our own shores. So a lot, lot more going on on this front. We're we're gonna keep on on this issue more or less for this week, given how how much it overshadows everything. I want to get a little bit to the commemoration tomorrow of D-Day. Um, we're going to have Victor Avila on for part two of his saga on the Mexican Benghazi. Keep sending me at uh, dhorowitz at blazemedia.com your notes, your questions, what you want me to ask him, what you want him to talk about. And I'll, I'll, I'll pass along to him. And we're going to keep this relationship going, this friendship with him, seeing how we could help him in his saga and how he could help us get out the message. But let's make this a group effort. I'm so thankful for the company that you guys keep me in this town hall. It's it's really a beautiful exercise of freedom of speech that I think if nothing not if nothing else we're still thankful for now we we at least have that. 
We're going to utilize it to its fullest. You better believe we are going to work overtime. Thank you so much. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.